Welcome to the Oregon College Football Post Game Show with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax, presented by Frost Brewed Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Strong was in coverage. It has been a forgettable first half for Justin Herbert tonight. No, it was a forgettable first half for Justin Herbert. It was a forgettable first half for the Oregon Ducks. It was a forgettable football game, ultimately, for the University of Oregon on the Palouse. 503-417-7575. 503-417-7575. This is the Oregon College Football Postgame Show with the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax, sitting across from me. I'm Judah Newby. Got you for the next two hours and right here on 102.9750 The Game. Your reaction to this one, Duck fans? How disappointed are you? Who are you putting the blame on in this game, especially that first half? Because I tell you what, there are little to no excuses for the way that Oregon came out in this football game and got manhandled from the first half all the way through to halftime, and then they weren't able to wake up until the beginning of the third quarter, climb back in this football game. And yes, they were resilient. it. Yes, they made adjustments. But it was too little, too late. And ultimately, Mike Leach staying aggressive in the fourth quarter gets Washington State this win. So where do you put the blame on? Is this Mario Cristobal's fault for not having his team ready to play in this football game? We talked about it in our pregame show. You know, Oregon having a very difficult time flushing victory as opposed to just flushing a bad loss. Sometimes it's easier to flush a bad loss than it is to flush a great emotional victory, Neil Lomax. They did <laughs> not look like they were ready to play in this football game, and I know it got close late, and it was it, there was some drama unfolding, but that first half, I mean, how can you explain it? Well, you can because of what we talked about in the pregame of, I think, the game day. It started like Wednesday when that was announced. So that energy, the electricity, the excitement, we, we had Mark Rippon on the show. We had Jack Thompson on the show. All these guys, these Cougar greats that talked about this hasn't been this type of atmosphere for, for decades there. I mean, they never had game day there. They never had Lee Corso put the Cougar hat on, the head on. You know what I mean? It was so much of that, and that played out the first half. I mean, if you would have told me, I mean, seriously, if you would have told me that Justin Herbert was going to go 4 for 11 for 36 yards, I'd say, well, is that like two series? No, it was the first half, and they had three penalties, two false starts, and a delay a game in the first four or five minutes. That's energy in the stadium. That's noise. That's disruption of what you – you can't simulate that in practice. I don't care how much how loud you turn the music on, how loud the crowd noise, you can simulate – you can't – it's just impossible, and I think it really affected them. So I give more credit to Washington State's Coach Clay's what an awesome job right. as a defense. Oh, my God, what he did. And to get those guys ready, I was so impressed with the secondary, too. Singleton, Strong, Woods, Thompson, and Moulton. I mean, Moulton's job, here's Moulton's job. Just hold Dylan Mitchell. <laughs> just just, just here, do me a – here's all you want to do. Don't let him go on a go route, no nine route, nothing over 20 yards. If he if he gets by you at 20, hold the guy. And that paid off. Right. So give credit to the Washington State defense, and then we'll talk about guard Menchu down the road. 
He wow. he really played well in this football game, and I don't want to take anything away from Gardner Minshew because he did play a really good football game. But that being said, I think you know Oregon made too many mistakes. Washington State offensively looked so crisp. It looked like it was coming so easy. And look, Jim Levitt knows an infinite amount more of defense than I could ever hope to <laughs> to get to. Okay, I, I understand that. But at some point, I mean, you know, in that first half, Neil, are you giving more credit to Gardner Minshew and the Christmas of the Wazoo offense? Or, you know, is there some criticism to be had for the Oregon defense in that first half as well? Because they could not get off the field. Well, I know at CenturyLink they have the 12th man. I mean, the Seahawks claim that, and Texas A&M has. That, that, there was a 12th man very evident there. And I love to get to my friend Duck Dave on, who goes to every single game. He's the one that told me, Austin Stadium is electric, no question. It's it's amazing place to play. Visiting teams hate to go there. Right. But you ask anybody else in the Pac-12, where do you not want to play? And they say Martin Stadium. So you have that. Uh, Coach Clays, again, I give him a whole lot of credit. They don't mix. They don't miss Alex Grinch at all. You know, he goes to Ohio State as their defense coordinator last year. He he was like Mike Leach's right hand guy. Right. So Tracy Clays did a hell of a job, and then Kendrick Shaver and Darcel McBath is a secondary coach. You shut down a lot of very, really good Oregon receivers, and all you can rely on is Dylan Mitchell. I mean, I saw more number 13 trying to run around. That guy's going to have an IV yeah. out of the game. That, that guy was going everywhere, and they're trying to get the ball to him. So Oregon Ducks were very limited in their in their offense because of the defense. Right. The energy was the 12th man. All right, let's take your phone calls at 503-417-7575. Roy's in Portland. What's up, Roy? Hey, guys. Man, hey, uh, this game, Roy. You know, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know, man. I, I, I like some of what Oregon is, is doing, but, uh, you know, Mike Leach, man, he's a good coach. And, I, you know, it, it's, my opinion is Mario Cristobal, he's got it rolling in the right way, but I, I've always said to myself that, well, I've always said offensive line, line coaches don't make great head coaches. But, you know, that's just me. You know, I think – I think Washington State had a game plan for Oregon. Tracy Clays, I think he's underrated. He was Minnesota's coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's from uh, the, the, the Midwest. I think he's a he's a superstar in the making as far as the defensive coordinator. And I just think uh, I think Washington State had a game plan. They used the bye week, and they had a they called a great game on defense. And um, I think Oregon's got to go back to the drawing board. I mean, they still could have a good season, but you know, you got a tough game coming up with Utah. And I think you just got to put this game behind you, you know. Um, Washington State's a good team. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate the phone call, Roy. You can call in as well at 503-417-7575. And Roy brings up a good point. Like, Washington State is a good team. You forget that Oregon, you know, had the Stanford loss September 22nd. Then their objective quickly became flush it, get to Cal, number 24 team in the country, on the road. But Cal ranked 24th in late September was way different than than this Wazoo team ranked 25th in mid-October. This was a whole different type of road test. you got to give some credit where credit is due. Wazoo's damn good. And they proved it tonight. And I, I, I take exception to Roy's call about coaches. I mean, Mike Leach's a great coach. Well, he is tonight because they won. And his system has been very successful when you get the quarterback to run that system. That is the key. And how he found Gardner Menchu is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's a kid, a kid. He's 
22. From Brandon, Mississippi. Guys, he played at Northwest Mississippi Community College. What in the hell is that? You know, then he goes to East Carolina. Okay. And then he graduates. He has one more year of eligibility. I don't know what dinner party or what seven-on-seven event that Mike <laughs> Leach was at in the southeast area to find Gardner. I'd love to get that backstory. But you know, they had Trey Tinsley was the starting quarterback in spring. He brings in this guy, and within four or five months, he can execute this offense. Hey, great coaches are because of great players. Yep. Players make plays. I think Mario Cristobal is a very, very good coach. He's got a lot of good players around him. They will circle the wagons. I think Marcus Arroyo is a very good offensive coordinator. Come on, Coach Levitt, obviously a great defensive coordinator. Their players did not step up and play. This game plan all of a sudden, all of a sudden got limited. That first house, first half was just a shutout. I mean, absolute Nolan Ryan fastballs for five innings. They couldn't do anything. It's swing and miss on everything. I've never seen an Oregon team look that inept. I mean, three and out for three straight series, that only happens because of that energy there, the atmosphere there. And, and I tell you what, Scott, Peyton Pelora was flying around. Absolutely. That guy was disruptive everywhere. That's six-year player. So uh, players make plays. Coaches coach. When you become a great coach, that's because you have a lot of great players making right. plays. And Wazoo has plenty of them. Let's go out to Sherwood. Jake's in Sherwood. Jake, what did you think about this loss? You know, it was a tough loss, but I think one of the things I take as a positive from it was the in-game adjustments in the second half. You know, as we've all seen in prior years, especially last year with old Slick Willie Taggart, the second half was a complete different game. We could never make the adjustments that were needed. So it was nice to see us come out, fired up, completely different team in the second half to be able to make it a ball game. So I think moving forward in the future, it's nice to see Cristobal and the staff make the right adjustments to get the team fired up to compete in the second half. And, and Jake is right out. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to jump on that right away. He is right on because all of a sudden they get the kickoff. They go down within three and a half minutes, and Herbert has an RPO. And it, the receivers weren't open. He, he carries it in from like six yards out for a touchdown. All of a sudden, it's 27-7. And Washington State goes three and out. So he makes a really good point. That is halftime adjustment. That is coaching. And that is players kind of looking at themselves going, what the What are we doing here? Let's get back to what we do well. And Justin Herbert did a good job of organizing that. And you know, Washington, Washington State again went three and out and punt. Oregon gets the ball back, and they go on down. And that fourth and two was a great call, a deal in the shallow. Within nine minutes, it's 27-10 it's, it's right. for the field goal. So he's right. Great second-half adjustments, and the players starting to play. And you forget that Willie Taggart was so poor at making second-half adjustments. No, no, no not Willie. It's Slick Willie, he said. Slick Willie. Slick yeah, Willie. yeah, yeah, that's Don't, right. Slick Willie, my correct, bad. I want to correct you, you on that. You know, it's the formal full-name version. Slick William, even. But he's right. Mario Cristobal at least made adjustments. But, Neil, what, what is the locker room like, you know, in games where you just got your butt handed to you in the first half? Not saying that ever happened to you, of course. <laughs> Several but, occasions. But what's that feeling like, and how do you galvanize a group like the, the way Oregon did? You know, it doesn't matter what you really say in college and pros. I think in high school you, you have a, a, a coach who has a lot of experience and knows exactly what to say to a 15-, 16-, 17-year-old. But these guys have been there. They're, they're, they're semi-pro kind of guys. You don't need to say a whole lot. I think they just made the right adjustments based on what Washington State was doing well. And, again, the energy died down. You have a 15-minute half. So all that pregame hype, all the smoke, all the whatever ACDC music they might have been playing and waving all the flags, that's gone now. The Red Bull high was gone. And they came down to earth and Oregon played like it was a normal game. Uh, Again, 
I have never seen the Ducks look like that in the first half. That killed, I mean, three penalties within the first two series. I mean, two false starts and a delay a game. And, and, and I tell you, James talked about that, you know, in our pregame about getting behind the sticks, getting first and 15, and that really hurt Oregon, those early penalties. But total penalties was only eight, so it wasn't like they had 15 or something. Right. But those penalties early on really put them behind the eight ball, and Washington State took advantage of it. Yeah, what do you think about Washington State defensively in this game? Because they, they seem to have a game plan. You mentioned Tracy Clays, but specifically on the defensive line, they were light up front in terms of you know their physical measurements, 250 pounds, 280 pounds, 250 pounds. But you look at the way Oregon was unable to run the ball in this game, 2.4 yards a carry. Wazoo defensively, they were so athletic, way more athletic than I thought they were going to be, but they smothered the Oregon run game. And I think a lot of that, Neil, you would probably agree, was Oregon was behind so much so early, they couldn't afford to stay true to their running priorities. Yeah, that's, that's pretty shocking. Except and, for one red zone series inside the 10s. Yeah, and that's still the downhill uh, methodology and the the way that Mario Cristobal, that's his philosophy. We're going to be downhill, keep running the ball. But, you know, our expert, Jordan Kent, of course, you know, he's never been wrong. He's saying <laughs> C.J. Bardell is going to run for 125 yards. Oregon is going to win by a touchdown. But I, I, you're right. Those down three penetrating up. But, again, Peyton Pallor in that linebacker core just did a heck of a job really disrupting, not just the run, but making blitzes. I mean, you watch the game. There were some last-second hits on Justin Herbert. Mm-hmm. And I, I think something – at the, right at the end, too, Woods put a really good hit on Justin Herbert there down in the red zone yep. to make him kick a field goal to make it 27-20. I don't think he was the same. Justin Herbert, his shoulder, his ribs, they were putting pressure from the secondary. from the from, We call him the nickelback or the sandbacker or willbacker. It wasn't so much the deep three that had the hand down. It was linebackers coming and disrupting the passing game. 503-417-7575. A couple of callers already have said that they're encouraged to buy some of the little things in this game, the second-half adjustments most notably. You know, is that the big takeaway for Duck fans, you know, that Mario Cristobal at least has an ability to galvanize his team when they meet adversity? Because to me, I feel like any college coach should be able to do that to some degree. I didn't expect Oregon to lay down and die in this game. You know, but twenty-seven nothing almost speaks for itself. I expected him to fight back to some degree, but twenty-seven nothing, like we would be having the same conversation if it was seventeen nothing, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. It was twenty-seven. Well, nothing. nothing. I mean, nothing. A shutout. And First that's... time they've been shut out and a half since twenty thirteen. I mean, so I want to give Mario Cristobal credit for turning it around in the second half, but you cannot minimize just how deep the hole was. I mean, well, that's and, a and, huge and, hole. Yeah, and, and often. And it happens, I think, 80%, 90% of the time. Now, defensively, you're, you're a human being. You're going, hey, 27 nothing. Let's play a little softer. Let's take a couple more yards back. Instead of 5 by one on man, I'm going to go back about 7 by one uh, Free safety instead of 12 yards deep. Once you go 15 yards deep. Hey, uh, Pelour, Woods, you guys drop back a little more so you're a little softer. So that's why the success happens as well because, my God, you got a 27-point lead. So defensively, you know, Skylar Thomas, I noticed him there at number 36, the outside backer, number 25. Uh, he's backing up two or three yards. Uh, Dale Hunter, who's like second tackles for their team with 32 tackles, he would be backing up three or four. So I was watching defensively. They're a little softer. Again, let's go ahead and give them the three or four yards. We're not going to allow them to have the explosion plays. That's just, that's just a normal reaction. I think that speaks a lot to not just the adjustments, but how well Oregon was able to execute because your defense now is a little softer. Is there something to be said that this was just a buzzsaw today? Like, 
Too much good vibes for Wazoo. Game day's in town. You know, they got a talented team. They're ranked. They're off a bye. There was no way they were going to lose this game. Something to be said for that. Well, and plus, this is four in a row now. And that's, that, that's crazy That, that me, hasn't man. happened since 81 to 84. Wow. Now, was that Mark Rippon? Did we have, who's 81 to 84? Look, look it up for yeah, me. I think, I think, uh, uh, it was, I know it wasn't the throwing Simone we had on. No, it wasn't. I, I, it, wasn't it might have been, it wasn't Rosenbaugh. I know that way, way too before Rosenbaugh, but that four in a row. Two, two at Autzen and two at Martin Stadium. That's that's pretty impressive. But I, I know our next segment we'll, we'll give credit to now offensively. I'd love to talk about the, the complex routes, sure. the concept routes that uh, the air raid poses. And you got to have the field general. you got to have the Luke Falk, the Holidays, the Mark Rippins, the Drew Bledsoe's who can organize and, and actually facilitate that offense. It's not that – people say, oh, yeah, it's – you see some of the dot. I mean, the accuracy. He was money. He was throwing the. I'm telling you, has to has to numbers three routes, which is a ten yard out for us. I mean, that's a 40, 45 yard throw on an absolute laser line. Wow. I mean, it's a frozen rope, and he did that five or six times. Very impressed with his composure, his arm strength. I I, I gave Justin Herbert number one. Garden Menchie right now number two. No Woo. question, the Pac-12. High praise. How about uh, Cleet Casper? He was that was a quarterback, quarterback. 1991. We all know how I got a poster on my wall. Click Casper, <laughs> Washington State. Shout out Peter Sampson for that dig. Well done, Pete. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. 503-417-7575. What were you most discouraged by by this loss? But what were you most encouraged by by the comeback? More postgame coming up next on the game. 503-417-7575. 503-417-7575. What is your biggest takeaway from the Ducks' 34-20 loss at Washington State? Was it the first half that went totally wrong right out of the gate? I mean, we're talking bad snaps. We're talking a false start that kept it from being a, uh, a safety. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the second drive of the game. You know, are Talking about the lack of ability to convert on third down. I mean, nothing went right for the Ducks in that first half. Everything went right for Washington State in the first 30 minutes. And then things started to turn around in that second half. Right out of the gate, the Ducks go on a drive to take them all the way deep into Washington State uh, territory. And they face a fourth and one. They end up facing, really, a third down and... uh a third down and 13, and they ended up picking up like 12 yards on it, and then a fourth and one, and then they turned that into a touchdown. Right out of the gate, seven plays, 75 yards in over three minutes. Justin Herbert, an eight-yard touchdown run. At that point, it's 27-7. At that point, you're thinking, okay, they didn't roll over and die. Then Washington State goes three and out. Mm-hmm. Oregon comes back, and they... Get a fourth in two, Herbert to Dylan Mitchell for a first down. By the way, Dylan Mitchell, man, if it's third down or fourth down, there's one place the football's going, and it's Boy. to number 13. That guy is so clutch. He is so good. And again in this game, Neil, his stock just rises every week, it feels like. Yeah, and it's it's good news you know, like, like for Dylan Mitchell, but bad news for Oregon Ducks offensively because now, to me, they're limited. What we saw the first three weeks in preseason were several athletes running around, Addison, Bray, McCormick, a lot of lot of different receivers, a lot of different running backs. And where's TBJ? Where's Tosh Griffin? A lot, lot of different guys we saw early on. Now it's kind of limited now that we're if we need a play, I mean Oregon needs a play, they're going to number thirteen. You know JJ got in there a little bit. Uh, I thought Breland played fairly well, but they still had eight guys catch passes. So that that is 
You know, Brennan Score came to play. Uh, I, I thought Justin found him. He was like the second, third option. Uh, but again, Jalen Red, he's just Mr. Touchdown. He's, he caught four more balls and another touchdown. That's like three for the year. The guy's only caught like nine balls. He's got three touchdowns. Uh, so, But they, they're limited now. So you kind of see now where C.J. Vardell is the running back, and they got one or two receivers in their go-to. And again, I thought, I thought Washington State's philosophy was, hey, let's just hold the guy. If he goes more than 10 yards, Moulton, just hold him. I think they had three pass interference penalties just on Moulton alone. Yeah, and you know what? In college football, sometimes it's worth it to do that. Because 10 it's yards. 10 exactly. yards yeah, yeah. Or, or 15 yarder if it's PI, and yeah. that's it. You yeah. know, it's like you'd rather do that than give up a touchdown. So, um, yeah, in Oregon, ultimately, I, <laughs> the problem with all of this is even though Oregon produced so much offensively in the second half, you have to be perfect when you're down 27 nothing. You have to be perfect, and you're imperfect when you have to settle for two field goals after a nine-play drive and after a 16-play drive when they're down 27-17. to 17. You know, and they have to settle for a field goal. But it's that first field goal that I want to ask you about, Neil. They are driving down. They're down 27-7. to 7. We get that penalty <laughs> on uh, poor Moulton on Dylan Mitchell. Yeah. Sets up first and goal from the six. You're down 27 to seven midway through the third quarter. They ran the ball three times. Yeah. Uh, but do you question that's their game plan? That's been their philosophy. That's been their makeup. That's yeah. been their footprint. And that's why Marcus I, when, Arroyo and, Mark, and, and Mario Cristobal talked about this is what they see the look. They see six guys in the box. They can either go zone, they can go a buck ride or a trap, which they have, they've done very well. The third and sixth call was kind of interesting to me because to me, I, I want one of my best athletes with an RPO, with a chance to run the ball, pass the ball, whatever option to read it, and that's Justin Herbert. And it proved that well on one fourth down where he actually ran for a touchdown. But they didn't get anything, and you obviously it's fourth and six. You're not going for that. Fourth and six, he made the right call. I mean, you kicked the field goal there. And so it went back and forth. I mean, let's face it, Garden Menchu had the Justin Herbert-like first halves that Oregon's are used to. They were killing teams the first three or four games like that. That's what it looked like. But to me, the, the big play in the game, and if, and if people kind of remember this, it happened in right in the – it was in the fourth quarter, and they're going down. It's like 6.38 left. It's 27-20. And you're going to talk about it too. I mean, Oregon's batting balls down left and right. right. That was another great adjustment by Coach Levitt at halftime, telling Lamar Winston Jr., you guys, if, if you're in the passing lane and you have a chance you can't hit the quarterback, there were like three batted balls down that we counted uh, in the third – start of the fourth quarter alone. So a huge play, though, to me that is 27-20, 6-3 left, pressure on Garden Minshew. He's on his back foot. He throws up a Holt ball, a 50-50, please somebody on our team catch it. Terrell Harris goes up and makes the catch right in between. I think it was Lenore and Ugo Amadi, or it was Jalen Hollins. Jalen Holland, yeah. But still, great coverage. It's a 50-50 ball. He got his hands on the ball first. That, that, That ball could have been the third interception. It was Terrible decision, but what happens? Cougars come down with it. It's one of those, shake your head and go, man, maybe it's not our night. Because that was a terrible decision, a bad ball that turned out to be a huge 36-yard completion for the Cougs. Yeah, that was a game changer. It reminded me of maybe on a little bit of a smaller scale, but David Tyree, you know, with one of those miracle helmet catches. How about, you know, Jermaine Curse and one of his miracle catches yeah. in Super Bowl 49? Julian Edelman in Super Bowl 51, stealing it right off the turf. You know, even Golden Tate 
in the uh, fail Mary against the Packers on Monday Night Football. It was the same type of play. Him and Sharon Williams getting the football at the same time. And, and, and Judy, and, you follow that up with a minute and a half later. Right. So now the Oregon Oregon team stops them. It's fourth and six on on, on the the minus thirty eight yard line, and Garden Menchu throws an absolute forty yard frozen rope ten yard out to Harris this, for a first that, down. That's why? with four fifty left. That was a from right hash throwing the ball all the way across the left hash on man to man coverage. That could have been a pick six, but he threw a great timing route. That showed me this kid. He's got a pro arm. I mean, we talk about a lot of guys with pro arm. That, that was a, a NFL throw to complete a 12-yard gain on fourth and six. What makes that throw so tough? I know, I know you guys, you quarterbacks, you talk about it. The hash-to-hash throw, is it the arm strength? Is it the ability to be accurate, or is it being on time? Is it reading the coverage right? Because yes. I know yes. it's all of the above, right? But if a corner is playing 10 yards back, to me, which they were in that situation on fourth and six. Yeah. But man-to-man. If, if you're playing jam there, you don't give him the chance to complete that ball. But still timing. It's the timing. He knew after like he kicks that shotgun snap, he took three steps. He shuffled and threw that ball right to the spot. And that's That's over and over. 30, right. 30 yeah. 40 times a practice, they're, playing, they're doing this timing route. That corner's off. The corner has inside shade. The three route is on. That 10-yard out is on. But the accuracy, timing, and velocity on that ball. Very impressive to pick up that fourth and six. And again, Leach went for it. We were talking about that earlier. Yeah. He took a delay again. That was cut. To me, he flinched on that. I, it was fourth and three. Uh, four minutes earlier, he flinched. Ah, I don't want to do it. And he punted. That was very unleech like. That was with 12 minutes left in the game and a 10 point lead. Washington State has the ball at the plus 42. And fourth and three. Fourth and three. And, you know, the barometer for me of whether or not a coach should go for it oftentimes comes to what is the opposition feeling? Are they scared that you might go for it, or are they relieved that you're going to punt it? And when Washington State kept the offense on the field on a fourth and three, as a you know someone with vested Oregon interest, I won't call myself a Duck fan per se, but with vested Oregon interest, I was scared that they were going to go for it. I was like, <laughs> I don't want to see that offense on the field for any more plays than I have to. Then he took the delay of game, which, by the way, Garner Minshew signaled for a timeout. He signaled for a timeout. The refs didn't call one, and they let them take the delay of game instead. I would have rather had Washington State call a timeout there and waste one, but they didn't see it. But then they get the delay of game, and they punt it back. But that's with 12 minutes left and 10-point yeah. lead. I think Mike Leach learned his lesson, Neil, because the next time down, they're facing fourth and six at the plus 34. He goes for that sucker, yeah. and they complete it. Uh, and I was Hey, and... and it's Mark Rippon talked about that when we had him on on air uh, a few hours ago about that's the leech philosophy is we're going to go for it. We talked about this earlier. Guy, Washington State has been 14 for 17 all year in fourth down conversions. Wow. That's 82. percent So this is not this is not like okay I go paper rock scissors or something. This is what they do, and they've been doing it over and over game by game. So you should be surprised. But you're right. I think for most people you're going to be clicking at 82. percent You're praying if you're a Duck fan, please punt it. Please, I mean, fourth and three, you probably have a 75, 80% chance of converting that. Boy, I tell you what, Washington State now with four straight wins over the Ducks. Ooh. I mean, I couldn't, that's not happened in my lifetime. I know that. You were saying 81 to 85? And, uh, you know, who was, our, who was our guy, Peter, again at quarterback for uh, the fight in Wazoo's back in the 80s? Yeah. Casper the Ghost? Yeah. What was Scott something? I mean, Clay, Clay, what is it? I don't, I don't <laughs> Rippin, remember. Rippin was a freshman, I'm pretty sure. 
But, you know, it's been so long since uh, there's a Twitter handle for Oregon. Cleet Casper. There it is, Peter. Coming up with it, Clint Casper. Casper the ghost. That's right. So more importantly, though, so Washington State goes to three and one in the north, and Oregon drops to two and two. Okay, that's the big one. I know Washington State's got to go to Stanford. Oregon's go to Arizona. We'll talk about the next segment or something like that. That, That's the big picture, though, is pretty much knocked Oregon out of any Pac-12 championship. If Washington now, that Apple Cup will be a huge game down the road. Not not looking ahead. Well, well, I, I think guess we I should. Am. I think we should. Let's go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll let the break. We'll come back. We'll get more of your reaction at 503-417-7575. What's your biggest takeaway from this game, Duck fans? Is it a disappointment that the team wasn't ready to play? Or is it, hey, man, we, we've got the ability to come back on folk. We just got to piece it together. But two losses now. You can only do so much with two losses in college football. 503-417-7575. You can also tweet at 1029thegame and comment on our Facebook page as well. A lot of reaction over there, too. This is the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. Chutanubi, Neil Lomax, 1029-750 the game. Taking your calls at 503-417-7575. You know, what was your biggest surprise from this game? You know, was it the way Oregon couldn't get off the field defensively or Justin Herbert didn't look like his world-beating self you know what happened to his stock in this game ultimately i think you know he regained some of that credibility back in the second half but man a lot of confusing things happened in this football game neil lomax well the, the confusing part was how inept and way below average the oregon offense looked and uh, and conversely the oregon defense looked it looked like two more quarters from washington state playing oregon state yeah if folks remember watching that game, it was a seven-on passing clinic for four quarters in Corvallis. So they had a whole bye week, but that didn't stop them. They came and completed another two quarters against Oregon. I mean, that was, if folks know, it looked like a seven-on-seven clinic. Every series Washington State had, it took over three, three-and-a-half minutes, and it was a scoring drive. Oregon went three and out the first three series with three penalties. And Nick Aliotti talked about it. James Kreppert talked, everybody talked, you cannot go one, first and 15, you know, second and 10 plus, third and eight plus. Statistics bear it out. You have a 20% chance convert when it's over third and eight plus. Right. When it's third and three to six, you have 50 to 60% chance to convert. And that was a story of that first half. I mean, you just can go all down the line here. It was just a clinic. And then I got, I, <laughs> here, here's my take. So you had a bye week, right? So I talked about this. Coaches get bored. So Leach is in his office like, man, you know, I don't know. He, pick, he pulls up some film from 1965 for some swinging gate. So I'm going to have my wide receiver on the hash mark. He's going to hike the ball. Either that or, or Leach lost a bet to somebody. And that's, okay, I'll put that play in for you. You know, took a call in from some radio show. Hey, you remember the swinging gate? My grandfather <laughs> ran that in 1955. Can you put that in? Oh, sure, I'll put that in. And he did. But here's the bottom line of the swinging gate. It was just a zone left to Williams. Yeah. Just a zone. It wasn't a trick play. And they and had to defend nicely. He broke six tackles. Oh, gosh. Six tackles, I counted. I think you got the video. But yeah. people, obviously, you can't show a video on but this radio. Is, uh, this is, this <laughs> or is, can you? We're going to do the uh, audio from the video Six highlight. tackles. Oh. Come on. That's Bell in motion, 81. Look where the ball is. Where the swing in the gate. Little swing in the gate, Timmy. And there it goes. Booby Williams trying to get that shot.
Man, settle down, Tim Brando. First of all, you can't say the word booby ten times in the same highlight. Come on. The dude's nickname is Booby for Booby Miles, but lay off, man. You're right a professional lights. broadcaster. <laughs> Dial it back. Yeah, maybe that's just me. Well, but Tim Brando didn't miss a tackle. Exactly. Okay, yeah. so you got some really good athletes on Oregon's side there. I counted six in in the highlight. I think and, right. uh, and then, you know, again, they get the ball back. Oregon goes three and out, but that was a huge momentum that kept the energy, the enthusiasm, electricity. And then the next series... They make some really good plays. Guard Menchu's on target. I mean, Patman had a great game as a wide receiver. I was really impressed with his uh, ability to catch the ball. He had six catches for 81 yards, some big plays there. And they go down, and Bell makes a great catch. Really good Bell, Richard uh, Renard Bell. And we had almost a pylon gate, right? Almost. So, so me, close. What, what, what was your thoughts on that? Well, well, you know, he broke the plane deal, you know, and Dean Blandino had it right on the money. He broke, <laughs> broke the plane before he stepped out of bounds. Okay. You know, to be honest, though, it, it does feel like Washington State was destined to win this game almost. I felt like Oregon was up against a narrative. But that, you that, picked, that, that you picked the Ducks. I know, and I'm, I'm, so, mad, I'm furious at myself for not seeing this. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Early in the week... I thought the spot was was so obviously challenging that I was like, ah, you know what? It is so obviously a trap game. I'm going to try to be contrarian and see through it. You know, contrarian. I, I, that, I thought it was going to be contrarian wow, I, early I, in the I, week. I, I was like, I'm going to go with the Ducks. I, I think I might go with the... and work that look that up here. Yeah. My dictionary here. Wow. <laughs> well, you're a contrarian. That's that's who you are. You you like to disagree with people. Absolutely. That that's your my de- nature. Your default setting is to disagree with people. That's why you're so good on the radio. Would you agree? I'm going to disagree <laughs> because that's what I do. So, yeah, but, so go but ahead. My finish. point is I thought I was going to pick the Ducks in a big win and be contrarian, if you will, in that regard. And then, you know, the more I looked at it, I told you at the top of the pregame, who's the more physical football team? Oregon. Who has the better quarterback? Oregon. They were down 27 nothing at halftime. So you can't tell me in the future in college football, if I try to make a pick solely based on physicality and quarterback, you know, talk me off the ledge because that did not work in this game, Neil. The physical team with the better quarterback does not always win. Yeah, the intangible, again, home field advantage. And it really plays out a lot of times in basketball because you have 12,000 people in that arena that's so tight. Very rarely do you have it at a stadium uh, and not a dome. This was not a dome stadium. I told you about my NFL career. I hated playing in dome stadium because of the noise. We had such a difficult time with that energy and noise. You feel like you couldn't even breathe. And it felt like that was the case for Oregon right away. It just they couldn't breathe. And let's give credit to Washington State living up to the hype, taking, taking that energy, taking that whole atmosphere of game day, and using that as an advantage, that 12th man advantage is one of those things you cannot duplicate. Right. You cannot simulate that in practice. I keep telling you guys that you cannot simulate that stuff. You can do all you can, put speakers in the building, down there in the indoor stadium and all that. You can try that and try that. But once it's live, it's a different animal. And it proved to be very costly to the Ducks. So they just looked out of sync from the get-go. And that, that really should have been a safety. It really should have, yeah. So, Oregon was... Caught a huge break, and they caught a huge break on the red zone the, interception. The, the word I'll use, they were discombobulated from the get-go. Oh, talk about and the And it was just so evident that they looked so below average. And for us to, to watch Oregon play, you, you step back and go, you're, you're shocked. Right. That That's a below-average football team, it looked like. And 
Washington State just put on a clinic offensively. I put out a tweet from the station Twitter account in the uh, at halftime and said, "Hey, what you know? What do you expect from that first half? How do you explain it?" Tyler Jones at Tyler underscore Jones thirty six says, "It's simple. Mario failed to get this team ready to play. Mario is one hundred percent to blame for this disgrace, this embarrassment, this joke, this disgusting product." That's out there tonight. This now sets us back more than the win from last week set us forward. Do you agree with that? No, I'm sorry. Who was it again? Because I wasn't. I, I listened to the your the, the twit tweeter <laughs> the tweet. Who 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 sent it? Uh, Tyler Jones. So Tyler Jones, you've never been a coach. I, I don't know if you even played football. Maybe you played high school. Now you're the expert. Mario Cristobal did not play at all. Did not play at all. He's got some great all conference, all Pac-12. The best quarterback. Supposedly, you're the number one draft pick, and you go out and you're what six for thirteen first half. I mean, so I said this before: coaches get way too much credit for a win, and they get way too much blame. Same this quarterback. Don't be blaming Mario Cristobal now. Washington State came out and just kicked ass for the first half, and Oregon tried to recover. Washington State played a lot of softer defense. So don't come out here and tell me it's the coach's fault. Is the coach's fault that they beat Washington, too? Is that Mario Cristobal? Same guys praising, oh, what a great coach. What a great job. You froze him for three. Use the timeouts. You're an awesome coach. Tyler, you probably the same guy said he was a great coach last week, so now he's not a good coach. Steve Chiovaro tweets a response to Tyler, says, stupid says what stupid knows. <laughs> was it the Cougs changing things up during bye week? Was it a victory hangover? Who knows? But the great adjustments in the second half told me it wasn't coaching. You know, there's something to be said for that. Coaching adjustments in the second half would seem to figure that this one was more on the players than it was the coaches. And you know what? I mean, look, I honestly, Washington State was so crisp offensively. I don't know if any defense slows that down. Unless you get things exactly perfectly right. I don't know if I can play. I mean, you you saw that first half, Neil. That they were unstopped with the six and seven yard digs and the outs and the timing was exceptional. It was pretty to watch because I don't, I don't really have a, a dog in the fight with Oregon, Oregon State. Um, so I'm not that prejudiced. But all I know is Washington State used that energy, used that enthusiasm, used game day to jump to that 27-zip lead and did not look back. They did not. It got a little dicey. It got, it got close. Yeah. Got dicey, but ultimately they get the win. All right, 503 417 We will go to Pullman and talk to James Creppy of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Get his thoughts. Hear what Mario Cristobal said at the end of this one. This is the Oregon College Football Post Game Show. Cheer to newbie Neil Lomax on 1029-750 The Game. All right, 503-417-7575. Ducks lose on the Palouse 34-20 after uh, trailing 27 to nothing at halftime. What was it like to be there and witness that uh, after all that went down? Let's go out to Pullman right now in Martin Stadium where we talk to our good friend James Crepia of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. He covers the Oregon Ducks. You can follow him on Twitter at James Crepia. Uh, James, boy, wow. Where where to start with this football game, man? I mean, we, we've talked about the shocking beginning to this one. And let, let's just start right there. Right out of the gate, Washington State with their pedal to the metal. And they just took it to the Oregon Ducks right from, honestly, the, the first snaps of the game. Yeah, right out of the gate. You're absolutely right. I mean, right, right from the start. Now, the only thing you could say that wasn't perfect 
for Washington today for first half was their opening drive gets down the red zone by throwing an interception. Now, if you're Oregon, you're thinking, oh, gosh, you know, the, <laughs> kind of dodged the bullet there. That worked out pretty nicely. But what do you do? You turn around and you get you basically get it right back because first you nearly have the same thing. Then, you know, in a, in a sequence of plays, you manage to snap the ball eight times, yet go three and out. That's a hard one to pull off. That's that's hard. <laughs> With all the three snap penalties, a near safety, a false start, a delay game, I mean, those things just can't happen. And that's right out of the gate. Now, were they facing the tougher half of the stadium? Yeah, absolutely. But that's something that you focused on all week. And that, that was part of the game plan was practicing for, for cadence, practicing for snap counts, practicing sound snap. They did all that. I saw it with my own two eyes. And that first Now, they just said after the game, yeah, that was part of it, and they had to change their snap count and cadence. They thought they could go with their regular cadence. They could not. And they settled down from there. But right out of the gate, you get behind the chains and have to punt right, right from the start on your first drive. And then from there, Washington State just took complete command, one touchdown after another, after another, after another. And defensively, <laughs> Oregon could not get anything going offensively whatsoever. Defensively, Washington State pretty much pitched a perfect game there in the first half. I mean, as close as you're going to get, I mean, until their final drive before half uh, and a near Hail Mary touchdown buzzer, by the way, until that, I think Oregon had like one or seven yards or something. And that's that's almost inexplicable. And that's that's that's, that's inexplicable in, in conference play, no matter how good or bad the teams are, to be the number 12 team in the country. I don't care that you're on the road. I don't care that this is a hostile environment tonight. You can't have less than 10 yards with a minute and a half to go in the first half. I mean, that's that's just not acceptable. Yeah. Hey, James. Uh, Neil Lomax. You, you talked about you know practice. You were there, but I, I've been there too before a dome game. We play. I mean, you try to simulate. You try to bring the speakers in. You try to bring the music. You turn up the rock. I don't care if it's Alice Cooper, ACDC, whatever you're going to play to try to. It's just a different animal when it's live, and you're on your own. I mean, it's, it's your, it's your minus five, and you're. You say it's the, it's the noisiest part of the state. It's just hard. I don't care what people. It. I. Be, it's so difficult when it's live and to execute, and it's so unfortunate to happen to be there for their very first series. No, no question about it. And look, that's that's all the contextualization. But here's the thing, guys. You know, there's what 130 FBS programs now, right around there. Okay, so there's 65 teams that any given week are on the road. All right, on their first drive is the first drive for 65 teams ending up as future because that first drive was. Yeah. No. No. It's, yeah. It's not. And this is not the most hostile environment in the country. I'm sorry. It's a tough night. It's a brutally tough environment today. Probably one of the toughest it's ever been. But this is still only 33,000 people, okay? This is not 110. This is not Michigan. This is not Ohio State. This is not Alabama. This is Washington State. you got to be able to go in and in a hostile environment when you practice all week for that, you cannot go out there and not open and drive and do that. Now, that's a, that losing a game, of course not. But nevertheless, it puts you behind the eight ball right from the get-go. And then from there, Washington State sees the momentum, and it became too deep a hole at halftime for Oregon to dig out of. Now, the second half... They completely turned it around and flipped the script. And they're marching, and you get it down to a one-score game, and you got to be thinking, gosh, if the defense come up with just one more stop here, all the momentum in the world is in the Ducks' favor. And you're going, man, oh, man, this could be a highly improbable comeback story, to say the least. But 
hey, Washington State, credit to them. They make some unbelievable plays there at the end. On a long pass that looked like it was going to be intercepted, that ended up being a long completion. Right. And then a fourth completion. Those two plays absolutely sealed that the touchdown at that point was almost irrelevant, quite honestly. And that was just the icing on the cake. But truly, Washington State probably could have pretty much run out the clock at that point. Uh, now, yes, I understand. Yeah, in theory, they do that. And, Oregon gets to drive again and possibly cut it down to one, and then you're talking about an onside kick. But that's all hypotheticals. If, 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 if. Final line, once they converted that fourth down, the game was effectively over. Yeah, that was kind of my key, James, was that it was 6.38 left. It's, you know, third down and eight. He throws up. I call it hope balls. When quarterbacks are on their back foot, leaning back, pressure was on, coverage was awesome. He throws up a floater, you know, 42-yard floater, and Trayvon Harris goes up and makes a 50-50 catch. That that just whoa, uh, and you're right. It was twenty-seven twenty at that point. Yeah, and if it goes the other way, if it's an interception, it's a de facto punt, like the second interception of the game was. It's a de facto punt because of how far it was. So that's why you're willing to take that kind of chance if you're on the offensive side. Is to say, well, shoot, what, what does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? Especially if it's a third down. Really, what does it matter? If you don't come up with it, if it's incomplete, you're punting anyway. So yeah. okay, might as well. Uh, and you don't run the risk of, uh, of a black punt or something crazy going the other way. So, okay, you know, you take a 50-50 chance. Some of them broke Oregon's way. Look, let's remember the first first two interceptions were gifts. Yeah, the first one was, I mean, right at the defender. And the second one was an overthrown ball where, look, Justin Herbert's overthrown balls tonight. Only Oregon's wide receivers could caught it. But Gardner Minshew, though he had a very, very good game, his interceptions were right at defenders. Mm-hmm. And it's on the second one, he just left it there where, frankly, only the defender could get to it. His receiver could not get to that ball. There was no way. Now, yeah, it ended up being a long, like I say, de facto punt, but it led to Oregon points. So he had a very good game. Obviously, it's the reason he's the reason why they won the game. Without him, I don't think Washington State is very much in this or very competitive, not just today, probably the whole season. So, okay, okay. he's a heck of a, heck of a quarterback. And he got the ball out unbelievably quickly. And, Oregon knew that that would happen. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you can't say that one unofficial hurry and no sacks, that, that can't work either if you're going to try and beat this team. Right, yeah, James Carpia joining us. And, James, that's what I wanted to talk to you about as well is, you know, you know, Jim Levitt seemed like he came in with a plan. Mario Cristobal used the language changing the picture on Gardner Minshew to try to change up the looks. And, you know, Levitt brought guys from – from everywhere at times, but ultimately you're looking at Minshew going 39 for 51 for 323 yards. I know he was averaging, you know, 400 plus yards passing per game, but still 39 completions, 51 attempts, four touchdowns and two picks. You know, how do you, how do you feel Oregon executed their defensive strategy in this game against Wazoo? Cause you know, there is an argument to be made that Minshew just wasn't going to be stopped tonight. He was really, really good. Now, again, you know what the air raid guys come on. I mean, you've seen it enough, not just with Wazoo now, but you saw it previously with Leach and Texas Tech, and you've seen it at other schools. The air raid, I mean, that's, it is what it is. You're gonna, the quarterback's going to get his. Okay? If you think you're going to hold the air raid under, what, 150 passing, I mean, you're, you're delusional. So you understand that they're going to get some yards, and they're going to complete some passes, especially the high percentage passes. And I think Oregon would say if, if they could have held Gardner Minshew through a lot of those screens and uh, uh, outside passes that were hitting the edge, if they could do that all night, they'd probably take it. But fact was, was he was passing all over the field. Look, no one—I don't think anybody can really walk away happy when you allow nearly 80% completion percentage or thereabouts, or right around—I don't know what the exact number there. But bottom line, 
you're not going to be too thrilled with that, uh, no matter what the high percentages were. Now, I think in the second half, they probably did a little bit better job. That said, first half, that was the insurmountable lead. No matter how close Oregon's comeback came with six and a half minutes to go, no matter, oh, it's a 50-50 ball, or oh, it's a conversion, or, bottom line, Oregon never had a chance with, with the ball to tie the game after the second quarter, really midway through the second quarter. So they never got quite that close. <laughs> you, got the, you got the one score, but you never got the ball. So you got to be able to affect Minshew more, certainly more than they did overall. But I thought the second half, they probably did a better job. First half, I, I really think they did a particularly good job as a whole on defense across the board. Not, not any one unit, not Jim Leonard, not D-line, linebackers. Not, nobody. I didn't think anybody played very well in the first half. I didn't. They missed too many tackles on the one long touchdown play there with the unusual formation, uh, which really should not have surprised them. Washington State has won that a couple times this season. And ultimately, again, those missed tackles, long passes at times, uh, you, you've got to be able to create more pressure on them. You can go across the board. They, they were just not good defensively in the first half. It's, it's hard to make an argument that they were at any one position, I can tell you that. Yeah, James, uh, Neil Lomax here again. Yeah, Max, Max Borgi, he, he catches the ball seven times for 51 yards. James, James Williams... Catch the ball seven times, 42 yards. That's 14 receptions by your quote your your running backs. Like you said in the air raid, that that's a that's a sweep, that that's a counter, that that's a that's a fly, it's a toss. That's his style of getting these guys in space so they can have a chance to have a Sam backer, Will backer, a nickel back miss a tackle. That's how I look at it. That I mean, you might say, oh, Garden Menchu, my God, yeah, you're you're 39 for 51. But 14 of those are a toss or a, or a, a sweep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I say you got to take some of those basically. Yeah. When I say high percentage, I mean the average player would complete over 80, maybe even over 85% of those kind of throws. Absolutely. No no question about it. But that said, there's also some plays in there that were not like that. Where, the, I mean, I, I had fans reacting to it in, in real time saying, Oregon was given too much cushion to mm-hmm. some of the receivers. Yep, yes. yep. And in some, on a particular, uh, I'm forgetting who the receiver was that caught it in the end now, but the guys might have to remind me, but uh, uh, Renard Bell, Renard Bell's touchdown. I mean, I'm up here in the box, and I'm not going to claim to be the most advanced football mind out there, okay, guys? I mean, I know the game, I know the sport, I know the strategy. I can, I can definitely hold my own, but I'm, there's a reason why I'm not coaching. Okay? <laughs> and I'm watching the play, and I just go, slot left. Like it's just it's just that obvious because the cushion is so big that I mean I mean this is this is rudimentary this is one on one you're making it way too easy I don't care about change the picture the picture was so obvious to anybody who played the position they go that's exactly where he's going with the ball and then lo and behold that's exactly where he went with the ball there's a touchdown you go <laughs> I mean if I can see it all the way up here and I'm not sitting down watching you know the coaches film all week. Not to blame players, because, again, ultimately, they got to execute what's called. But why necessarily at times in the first half are they giving too many cushions to the interior receivers in particular and, and probably not doing quite enough tracking of those running backs out of the backfield? But that's questions that we're going to have to have even into this next week uh, for Jim Levin and some of the defensive coaches about strategy and, uh, and decision-making there. Yeah, James, how would you describe Mario Cristobal? You just spoke to him moments ago after the game. Uh, obviously, I mean, him and, and several of the players, I mean, of course, they're disappointed. It goes without saying. Uh, some degree of frustration because of the first half and how absolutely dominant it was for Washington State. But that said, 
uh, especially the crystal ball, really proud of the fact that you know this team could have totally laid down at halftime at 27 nothing. Could completely laid down. I mean, you're getting crushed. And then even some of the players thought that you got you two choices. You can keep going out there and just keep taking a whipping, basically, and just get, get absolutely smoked. Or you can, you know, try to react and fight and get back in this thing little by little. And that's the one thing that I think if you're if you're an Oregon fan tonight, be disappointed, sure, be disappointed at the fact that, you know, if you're really hoping to, to win a division, possibly get to a Rose Bowl, does that look highly improbable now? Yes. But that said, do you have to take some some pride in the fact that your team went out there and clawed all the way back to within a one-score game with six and a half minutes to go? Yeah, I think you have to. I think that's the balance approach to it because, yeah, this team could have Look, guys, I mean, this team could have easily lost by 40-some-odd points. Mm-hmm. Any team, if we're down 27 nothing at halftime and everything's breaking away breaking away from you, yeah, you know you're going to get to some semblance of a rhythm at some point, but can then be a lost 20 straight and look like you're shutting them down defensively. That's a huge flip of the script. So there's a, that's that, I think that's kind of the chord that everybody was striking after the game was. Frustrated, angry at times, sure. But everyone is even keel enough to be able to mount that comeback. And there is something to be said for that. Now, are they going to go back and review what little tape there was offensively in the first half and then the litany of tape that there was in the first half and review all that? And Admittedly, it doesn't apply a whole heck of a lot necessarily to a lot of remaining opponents, but when you're going to try and make some corrections tomorrow, I would imagine that the defense in particular is going to be looking to make all kinds of corrections, excuse me, corrections tomorrow. Yeah, you're exactly right, James. Hey, before we let you go, you know, now you're looking at UW at four and one in conference, Wazoo three and one, Stanford three and one, the Ducks are two and two in conference, Utah, you know, taking USC to town today, they're three and two, USC's three and two, Colorado's two and two. You know, here we are, what? Touch or two over the midway point of college football season. You know, who's the best team in this conference? <laughs>
Well, James, I'll tell you what. We all know it's Alabama number one. And, 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 and Purdue, <laughs> Purdue just put 49. I'm not, I'm not stuttering or making 49 on Ohio State today. So who, the rest of the entire yeah. nation is fighting for that 2-3-4 yeah. spot. And the Pac-12, and, and James is probably right, Pac-12 will probably not, will not have a team. They will not have a team represented in this playoff system. It's in, in all in all likelihood, you're absolutely right, and that's that's going to be the great frustration, though. In, in retrospect, depending on exactly how crazy things unfurl here, the last you know four or five weeks of the regular season, I think Oregon fans could really, really be kicking themselves. Yeah. Just think about it. This exactly. Week. If Oregon wins tonight, you go. Wait a minute. Ohio State just lost and had another clunker loss, just like their loss last year to Iowa was a clunker loss. I think they had a clunker loss today to Purdue. Well, you know in two weeks that Alabama's playing LSU and they're going to be without one of their best defenders for the first half. And that puts LSU in a hell of a bind. Georgia's already got a loss. If they lose a second time, either somebody in the East or just lose a second time in the SEC Championship game, they're getting knocked out of the way. Ohio State has to play Michigan. The loser of that is getting knocked out of the way. Texas and Oklahoma could be destined to play each other again. They, The loser of that is going to be knocked out of the way. And I think depending on exactly how crazy, that's just the guarantees. We haven't even talked about crazy upsets. And that's where I think if you're an fan, a month from now, you might really, really be kicking yourself going, oh, my gosh, how in the world. <laughs> and, you know, or, 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 you're a, or you're a Husky fan and Peyton Hunter makes that field goal. You're, you're, you're kicking oh, yeah. yourself, too. They're, they're, right? We can go back and forth. That's why you've got to love college football. I mean, it is Absolutely. one of the best sports. I, I played at all the levels. I just love watching college football. It, it's just, It's exciting, man. It was a great game to watch today. If you're a Cougar fan, you're watching that clinic in the first half. You're pretty impressed what Coach Leach can do with a kid that gets there three or four months before they go out swinging. And this was no Luke fault, but he sure looked like one of the greatest quarterbacks that's played in, in all Washington State's. I mean, they've had some great ones up there. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Minshew played. Look, Minshew played great. Again, credit to him. He played very, very well. He had a couple of bad throws in there. Okay, well, you know, when you throw that many times, chances are probably going to have a couple of bad throws in as wide open an offense as this is. But as a whole, did he play really well? Yeah, yeah, he did. And he's, look, again, he's the reason why they won the game because right. you can't point to one other skill position player because they spread it out so much that it's almost hard to give any one of them more credit than the other because <laughs> I think they had four different players catch, catch a touchdown pass. So it's kind of hard to credit any one receiver more than the next. But, yeah, Minshew was great. Uh, and, again, he knew that he was going to throw a whole bunch, so credit to him. Yeah. But having the, the the nerve to go out there in the first half and play that well, and then when things aren't going, Washington State's way in the second half to then lead that critical drive with six and a half to go and make some of those plays, that's huge. That's huge, but that's what you get a graduate transfer for. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of Not just the overall performance. You can't necessarily ask that or expect that, even with the air rate. Yeah, big players, big players making big plays at the big times, and he was. He is that twenty-two-year-old kid. He's not a kid though. Um, that's 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 well put though. He, the, the, the experience, <laughs> the experience really paid off. Yeah. Hey, James, appreciate your energy and your insights. A lot of fun talking yeah, to you. We'll run it back again next week down in the desert, my man. Sounds good, guys. Appreciate it. There he is. Follow him on Twitter, at James Crepia. He's got all your Oregon Duck beat coverage for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. So good uh, there, live from Pullman. All right, we got to hit a break here. We'll come back on the other side, talk a little bit more about this game. You know, it started with a red zone pick. 
I feel like one of us was saying something about red zone turnovers before this game started. It just, uh, the rest of the game didn't unfold the, the way I thought it would. But talk more about that. Get your calls at 503-417-7575. About 45 minutes to go. Neil Omax, Judah Newby on the Oregon College Football Post Game Show. ESPN.com with the highlight. Just let everybody know. He's Neil Omax. I'm Judah Newby. Justin Herbert with the uh, touchdown run there. One of the few uh, good things that uh, happened to the Ducks in this game. Still taking your calls at 503-417-7575. Harrison is in Portland. What's up, Harrison? Hey, guys. I I, I think the uh, biggest takeaway from tonight is youth. Um, I mean, like, Oregon looked absolutely shell-shocked in the first half, like, uh, even a number one uh, potential pick in Justin Herbert looked like he was shook. Um, in the second half, like, I think it's a credit to Chris Ball and his staff. Like, they kind of calmed him down. But, I mean, like, we dug such a big hole. Like, it's so difficult to climb out of that. And, you know, they, they kind of flexed their muscles a little bit in the second half. But it just was not enough. You know, it's just uh, – I think my uh, my final thoughts on the game was it's just, like, uh, youth, you know. Like, I, I, I thought they were going to, like, try to, like, learn their way in the – they did, but it was just kind of disappointing to see uh, the result. But, uh, you know, that that's just kind of what happens when you're learning along the way. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point, Harrison. You forget sometimes that the Duck football team still is young at some critical positions. I I think cornerback, particularly with D'Amador Lenore, who give credit to D'Amador, two interceptions in this game, and uh, but he did get burned on the fade route in the end zone. For a touchdown, that was a beautiful throw by Minshew. Mm-hmm. Great touch. But, you know, Oregon is young in some critical parts of this team. Didn't help either that one of their best young players was out and is probably going to be out the rest of the year in Panay Sewell. But, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's the offensive side of the ball. I think he's, he's speaking in both ways. Uh, offensively, when they're that young, that, that's why you have a false start. I mm-hmm. think Harrison's right. That first five, six, seven minutes with the energy, the noise, Having the ball when it when it when you have the ball and you're minus five, it's a huge deal. You're just you're just kind of just don't make a mistake. You know, let's make sure we can hold on the ball. Uh, punt, if we have to punt the ball the way we do. They were lucky coming away without a safety, but uh, there were no. Got to remember, you talk about youth and everything. Penalties. There were three in the first four minutes. Then Oregon f- finishes up with seven. So it's not it wasn't a big deal, um, but no turnovers, and that usually contributes to youth. Young young quarterback. Young receivers, a tip ball. They had no fumbles, no interceptions. But in the secondary, yeah, okay, Thomas Graham is a sophomore. But Hugo Amati's a senior. D. Lenore is a sophomore. Troy Dyes, junior. Justin Holland, senior. Lamar Winston, junior, is a junior. So, I mean, that's a college landscape, though. You'll know this, but doing this for a few years, a lot of redshirt freshmen play a a bunch. They do. uh, Across the landscape of college football. Uh, I think just that atmosphere, when it's live, I think Harrison has a good point, though, about the youth or just the, I think that impact, and they weren't quite ready for that wow effect. And then Washington State being that effective and efficient offensively. That's the thing I, I take away is how efficient Garden Menchie was in the first, you know, 22, 23 minutes of that football game. Yeah, he really was. This was Gardner Minshew after the biggest win of his career with Holly Saunders. Tim, I think you threw it down to me. I cannot hear right now, Gardner. Amazing. You led your team down the field late in the fourth quarter. You pulled this thing out. What did you tell them before you led that drive? 
Man, so keep believing. We were getting our own way. And I knew if we played together that final drive, you know, we had different guys come together and make plays. And you know, I was really proud of this team. Look at all these fans around you right now, how much they love you. What was it like? Your biggest win by far in Pullman during your time there. What did it mean to you tonight to have all these people behind you? Man, they gave us the best atmosphere I've ever seen tonight. This was truly incredible. Thank you to the fans. They really made this a home field advantage. So I'm so glad we could give that win back to them. Thank you. Have fun. Thank you. Mike Leach, I just had this quote relayed to me from Peter Sampson. Mike Leach in his postgame press conference said, quote, Two very fine quarterbacks played tonight, but the best one played at Washington State. Well, and you, well, he's standing he on the say table that. for Garner Minshew. He's, I, he's I, your, your coach. You, you, you won the football game. All he's right. your head coach. Check in with me what in else? two years. Check oh, in with uh, me in two years. Let's see who the better quarterback is. Okay, that, But okay. you know what? To be fair, that's what they were saying about Marcus Mariota, too. And Marcus is having some struggles at the NFL level, too. You know, what, what do I know? Well, let's don't go to Sundays. Okay, why, why are you jumping right We're now two and, and going a half to Sundays? hours away from Sundays. Let's talk about Saturdays, and I still I still say, from my viewpoint, Justin Herbert's still the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Agreed. Despite Gar- what I Gar- saw Gar- today, Major, overall, two. overall, before we go to break, his whole body work, he's still the best quarterback I've seen this year in the Pac-12. God, I can't disagree with you there. I will say, though, Minshew... He was impressive. Looked good tonight. He was impressive tonight. <laughs> Would you take Minshew or Herbert the rest of the way? 503-417-7575. More Oregon College Football postgame show coming up. Neil Lomax, Jr. will be on the game. 503-417-7575. Taking you just past the 10 p.m. hour. Thanks to James Crepia for joining us earlier. Live from Pullman. As the Cougs get the biggest win in their program history in some time. With game day, maybe ever, maybe ever, maybe the biggest win in Washington State program history happened on the field tonight. I don't want to discount, you know, any other Rose Bowl appearances they may have had or postseason moments, but let's be honest, with game day in town for the first time ever, look, at some point, maybe the college football fates just favored Wazoo, and that's what happened. They've had some big wins. I remember going up there and watching one. I was working for ESPN long time ago. They beat USC at home. They've had some of those, uh, but I don't think USC at that point was ranked in the top 25, uh, but it's still USC and a UCLA, but Oregon's ranked 12th. So that was big, and it might never happen again. I mean, that might not ever happen again in Pullman, that game day will come there for a, a big matchup, unless it's a huge Apple Cup uh, game, something like that. But that's always, you know, the Thanksgiving weekend, which carries a lot more clout than that. But right. um, pretty exciting stuff. But one thing I, I got I got to bring up, we were talking about during the, during the break, that, that drive that you had on um, the, the audio there of Justin Herbert running the touchdown in when they got the ball right in the kickoff. They're down 27-0. They move down seven plays. They score. But if folks remember the Hail Mary before the half, Ugh. I mean, they're, it's incredible. I, Aaron Rodgers does it so well in the NFL, always picking that. But that ball was so catchable. And Dylan Mitchell has, he jumps up. Usually you jump up to high point him. You know, when you have those kind of 55 yard Hail Mary balls, the floaters in the end zone, it's a 50, or let's face it, it's an 80% chance you will not catch it. Maybe one out of nine you might catch those kind of. And he goes up like he's going to high point it. And the ball hits him right in the chest. He catches that. How about that momentum swing? That would have been huge. You what? That ball hits him in the hands and the chest. And Dylan Mitchell knew it at the time. The reaction on his face was priceless. You know, he ends up having 
a decent game. Seven catches for 44 and a bunch of big catches, a bunch of third down catches again. Mm-hmm. But you're right, Neil. If he makes the catch there, then you can all of a sudden, as an offense, you can double up. You can go touchdown, receive second half, touchdown, which they ended up doing anyway. And look, when you're down 27 to nothing, I don't care who you are, you basically have to be perfect the rest of the way. And Oregon settled for two field goals on their second half drives, one of them being when first and goal from the six and three straight runs. Like, I know it's something to be said for philosophy. I know there's something to be said for wanting to run the ball until the other team is broken. And look, I was the one who brought it up. Washington State's defense had allowed 12 red zone touchdowns this year, and 10 of them were rushing touchdowns. So I get it. But at what point do you sacrifice that philosophy for the sake that you've got potentially the number one pick in the draft? You have to let him try to throw it inside the 10 at least once, yeah, right, it's, Neil? It's, Especially on third down. Right. You know, I understand in the Washington game, it was second down in overtime, and they run the zone lead. Uh, to see Jay Vardell and a great block by Throckmorton came in there and knocked knocked out that the linebacker. They scored from six yards out. They did. On so third it was. Goal, yeah. There, it was a second goal or third goal. I think it was third and goal from the from the six. So yeah. that's, that's pretty impressive. Bring that back. I, I thought it was second down. So I, I do agree on third down. You want number ten uh, to hold on to that ball. But this game was really between played between the twenties. Even though the effectiveness of the offense, I look at the numbers at the at the end of the game. And, again, nine receivers, nine different players from Washington State caught a ball. But the longest, we talk about chunk plays. Chunk plays are usually defined as something between 25, 30, 35 yards. Explosion plays are something like 40-plus. That's, that's when you define an explosion play, uh, counteract a, a chunk play. There is no, not one explosion play in this football game. The longest passed reception for the Ducks, was 27 yards to Jacob Breland. Jacob Breland, he's a tight end. The longest pass play by the Kooks, Travell Harris had a 37-yard reception. That tells you this game was played. Keep it in front. Don't make any mistakes. We're not playing press man. No one's beating us long. I mean, the longest running play was only 24 yards for Washington State and only 20 yards for C.J. Verdell. And the prediction for C.J. from our friend, Jordan Kent, he's going to have 125 yards rushing, control the game, Ducks by eight. Do you so let's just go, let's, down let's just go these predictions. Somewhere? All you knuckleheads were wrong, okay? There's only one guy in this room in this pregame was right. <laughs> that was I, you. That, that was you. You called a Washington look, State win by 10. I'm not done patting myself on the back. Wait no. a minute. Okay. You just got started. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, we asked you on Twitter, what's your biggest takeaway? And you can also call in with your biggest takeaway at 503-417-7575. Bobby Haywood tweets back and says, that number four on defense, got to go take a seat. He's referencing Thomas Graham Jr. Been saying that from my couch since early last season. Major liability against passing teams. Thomas Graham Jr. stand out as a liability in your mind. We talk about the youth that they have at the corner position, both Graham and Diamador Lenore, both sophomores. And against an air raid, <laughs> you're going to get tested. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some. You know, Diamador had two picks. He also gave up the touchdown. And then Thomas Graham Jr., you know, he he got beat on a couple in this game too. But part of me thinks that was going to happen to anybody. They're throwing 51 times. 51 attempts. Come on, one or two of them. You're not going to look your best. You're not going to be in the best assignment coverage. Now, how do we know it was his fault? 
How do we know he wasn't in the zone? How do we know he didn't come over and help out? See, we all assume we know that Graham was the culprit, that Graham made the mistake. We don't know that because you don't have to watch the film. So when you watch the film, you understand their concepts, you understand their assignments defensively, you might find out that actually Graham came over to help out. He wasn't pressed on that man. He came over to help. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because we don't know exactly was that his man. I mean, do you know that for 100%? I was don't, relying on Spencer you to Tillman, know that. Yeah, Spencer Tillman's going to think he knows on the TV. He might not know either. Don't, don't act like he Dude. really knows. That's I had, you know, Bell in coverage. Or I had, you know, Williams. And I was the one supposed to come up and cover Williams in coverage. So we don't really know who had that assignment. So don't, don't put the, the blame on Thomas Graham. And he's a sophomore. What are you going to do? You got, you got, you know, Brady Breeze doesn't hold play a lot. McKinley's a freshman out there. Javon Holland comes in as a nickelback. He's a freshman. A lot of young guys in that secondary. We also put the question on Twitter, what's your biggest takeaway? And uh, put it on Facebook as well. Tim Rauschio says, young coach, still learning. Players still learning how to win. Ducks are on the right path and could have given up at half as if it wasn't their day, but they came out in the second half and fought. This was a tough game. The players have to learn how to win, and coaches, too. The future is bright for this team, no doubt. Neil, you mentioned earlier, coaches get too much criticism. They get too much praise when things go poorly and when things go well, respectively. But when Mario Cristobal looks in the mirror at the end of this one, obviously there's ways that, you know, there's lessons that he can take away from this game. What is the fair criticism for the coaching staff after this? I just think you go back to fundamentals. Let's really go to statistics and find out how many missed tackles. Really, how many missed tackles defensively did they have? How many missed assignments up front? Panay Sewell, did they really miss that left tackle moving Throckmorton over there? When you watch the film, and they will, Marcus Arroyo will watch the film, and I guarantee I've been there before as a quarterback, a play caller, offensive coordinator, different level. You kick yourself, gosh, that was, was, it wasn't the best situation for a execution there because 90% of the time, folks, it's not the play call. It's the execution of the play call. The players have to execute. The coaches know what they're doing most of the time. Believe me, the players have to execute that play call. Yeah. All right. We'll come back. We'll get some final thoughts on this one. Also, take a look at the rest of the action around the Pac-12 and Top 25 because guess what, Duck fans? Your team wasn't the only one to lose on the road in a big game. Holy cow, what happened in West Lafayette? We'll get to that in a moment. More Oregon College Football postgame show coming up on the other side. 1029-750 the game. Got a 7.30 kick next week. Our favorite time. We'll bring you with the uh, Oregon College Football postgame show from probably like 10.30 to midnight next week. Right in Neil's wheelhouse. Yeah, I I just... I come alive. Yeah. Anything after 10 p.m., man. But anything, but again, anything after midnight, <laughs> nothing good happens. We all know that, folks. So, but 12 o'clock, we are shutting it down. But the Ducks go to the desert, and Arizona's playing right now. Matter of fact, in the Coliseum. I'm sorry, they're at the Rose Bowl. They right? are Rose Bowl. UCLA. It's one possession game. UCLA's up 17-10. It's now a tie game. Oh, 17 apiece. And Rhett Rodriguez, Rich Rod's son, playing quarterback. You know, for the Wildcats. Good for him for staying there. What a weird dynamic. Let's don't go there. So I know, yeah. but 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 just uh, you know, hey, he's be political. But he stayed there. He's the second best quarterback on that roster. Good for him. No nepotism involved, right? He's, his dad's not coaching. No, he so he's proven. It. He's proven he is a quality Pac-12 quarterback. 
That's how I look at well, it. That's my point. I think yeah. good, good for Rhett for Absolutely. staying to play for the coach that succeeded his dad who left in disgrace. You know, like anybody could just transfer somewhere else. And now Arizona fans are rooting for Rodriguez, <laughs> the most important position on the field <laughs> after, you know, the legacy of Richard at Arizona is not pretty. We'll talk more about that in our Duck Wildcat matchup show as we get there. If he's still, if Rhett's still a quarterback, if Tate's, if Tate's out. Well, regardless of the QB position, yep. the running back position at Arizona and a guy named J.J. Taylor, tonight, 10 carries for a buck 14, uh, averaging 11.4 a pop. I think that's probably going to be key number one for Oregon next week. Absolutely. And what we all saw what he did against the Beavers in Corvallis. Uh, well, I guess what running back or what team hasn't done that to the Beavers in Corvallis? I don't want to go there with that. That debacle in Corvallis. Homecoming, by the way. You got the Bears, but hey, man. Beaver Nation, hang in there. I love Jonathan Smith. Let him recruit. Let him, let him get his boys there. It's going to take a few years. Let, let him get his guys. That's the interesting thing about college football. You've kind of, you're going with the scholarship kids that have that been there, and then you've got to fa- figure out what makes it work. And if I'm like Mike Leach, I go across the country, try to find that Garden Menchu guy someplace who's a grad transfer, because right now the quarterback position there, bad. It's terrible. Sorry, it's bad. I ran into a, uh, a <laughs> former Duck this week, and it was asking him about what he thought about Jamar Jefferson. He said, hands down, best running back in the Pac-12. Really? Yep. This is from an ex-Pac-12 player? This is from a, yeah, a very notable former duck. Oh. And he said that Jamar Jefferson, in his mind, is going to be the next star running back, you know, in, in this conference. But he was he had a little dinged ankle or a knee, right? That's yeah, why he, he got a little I, bit banged you, up you, today. You found out more about because we were surprised he only had a couple carries. And hammy, Pete, Peter? Little hammy? Get in thumbs up from Peter Sampson. Yeah, little hammy action okay. for Jamar. Uh, Utah beats USC 41-28, to and there's a new team in the driver's seat in the South. How about these Utes, Neil? Now, historically, November has bitten them at pretty inopportune times, but it ain't November yet. Not yet. And the Utes are rolling. Especially at home. When, when they're in Salt Lake City, they're tough. That, that stadium is loud as well. Uh, they are a tough team. But that, that victory over Stanford at the farm, when I watched that, watch the tape on that. They they controlled that game from the get go. So that's down south right now, trying to figure out the north. And you know, we asked James who is the best team, not just in the the north, but the Pac-12. And he, well, you know, obviously your little suede or prejudice takes. You just saw Washington State play a heck of a half, a really good half. And we've seen Oregon do that. They did that against Stanford, and end up losing that game. But Washington State played a really good half, hung in there to win. I still say that as a team up in Seattle, that has a little more say about that. See, my first thought when we asked James that, I thought he was going to answer Washington. But, you know, he was at the Washington-Auburn game as well, still covering the Auburn Tigers, and says the way that Auburn has looked recently really discounts even the loss for Washington there, that Washington State is the best team in the Pac-12. Because think about the only game that Wazoo lost, Neil. A third party got involved yeah, with some yeah. critical officiating calls. I mean, holy cow, and they end up losing on a blocked field goal. Yeah, that like, game, that's their only loss all year. And, and, and at SC, which look look at USC right now. How well they put I, I put them in the top two, three conversation. Who is the trending? What team is trending right now? Of being a pretty damn good Pac twelve football team. Yeah. It's the Trojans. They're they're back. USC? Yeah. What about today? Losing forty one twenty eight. 
Yeah, but there, I still think for that South, though, being yeah. down there, I, it was at Utah, though. But I still said that the way they played Colorado and the way they play at home, they're st- again, the South shouldn't be in the picture. You talk about, I want to see Oregon match up again with Washington, but now Washington State beat them. Yeah, I I think that, that I still say the North has a top three teams. Wazoo, UW, and Oregon. Oregon, yeah. Would you put who are you putting first? UW. Right now, yes. See, I would too. I, I, I disagree with James. I thought he was going to go that way as well, but yeah. he stayed with Washington. He he got carried away today. You know, he's he's from the SEC. He got carried away. You know, he's still not impressed with thirty three thousand people that sound like one hundred and ten thousand people. Tell you what, though, when it comes to beat writers, <laughs> James brings some energy. He knows the stuff. He knows the stuff. He, he, he did pretty good. But he, he wouldn't he wouldn't play ten yards off the receiver though. He he <laughs> he, he wanna play a lot more press coverage. James, uh, no press coverage and run a nine route. All right, something bizarre is going on in the NBA world too. Peter Sampson will get you caught up on whatever that is on our scoreboard update. And uh me and Neil have one more segment coming up. This is Oregon College Football Postgame Show, one oh two nine seven fifty the game. Final few minutes here on the Oregon College Football Post Game Show. A reminder, next week we'll be on the air with the countdown to kickoff at 5.30 p.m., leading you to a 7.30 kickoff between the Oregon Ducks and Arizona Wildcats. 7.30! Love it. Prime time on ESPN2. And then, of course, myself and Neil Lomax will be giving you the Oregon College Football Post Game Show right after final whistle as we do each and every week. All right, time to look at the uh, final scores from today, and we'll peek ahead to next week's schedule as well and get Neil's thoughts on some of these matchups. Uh, First of all, current ongoing down the Rose Bowl, here comes the offense in this game. This was 17-7 a minute ago, now 24-20 UCLA with the lead on Arizona late third quarter. It's the Arizona Wildcats that these Oregon Ducks will see down in Tucson next week, but... UCLA, Neil, I mean, this is a team that went winless in their first five games, got a win last week at Cal, 37-7, to and now here they come. They're up 24-20 to on a pretty pesky Arizona team here late third quarter. Wilton Spate got into the game. He's thrown 13 for 22 and two touchdowns, the grad transfer from Michigan. UCLA seems to be turning a corner. Yeah, they, they came off a really decisive win, I thought, at, in Berkeley. Uh, I mean, rushed the ball for over 210 yards. I think Dorian Thompson Robinson is finding his game. I think that is the guy Chip wants to groom to be that that style, that tempo offense that Chip wants down the road. And you got Arizona reeling from a blowout loss. So these two teams are actually putting together a you know entertaining game. Yeah, entertaining game. And I and I thought the totally opposite from that Stanford Arizona State game on a that Thursday night. It was a big defensive matchup. Yeah, that's old school. Rock them, sock them up front, and disappointing Arizona State's lack of offense in that one. But we've got Oregon going to Arizona, going to Tempe. I mean, sorry, Tucson uh, to play that game on a late, the late Saturday night game. Should be fun. 15th ranked Washington beat Colorado 27 to 13. Colorado was without star receiver Lavisca Chenault in this game. Jake Browning 15 for 25 for a buck 50 and a touchdown. Very typical Jake Browning game. Mm-hmm. Aaron Fuller comes alive. Five catches for 63 yards and a score. They hold Stephen Montez to only 144 yards passing. And in the end, you know, Washington rushes for 201 yards in this right. game. Five yards a carry. You know, despite last week's result, considering what Oregon put up today, I think Washington is still the best team in the Pac-12 conference. But I tell you what, sure, the talk up in Pullman and Seattle 
is going to be that Apple Cup. Mm-hmm. As of right now, that Apple Cup could determine your Pac-12 champion at the end of the day, though there's something to be said for Utah. But what do you make of the way Washington bounced back this week? Yeah, impressive win there. And, you know, Colorado was 5-0, and and they totally laid an egg against SC in the Coliseum, and they go up to a difficult place to play in Seattle. Uh, I think you're right. I think the Huskies are finding their form. I've been disappointed in Jake Browning all year. I think he's been average. But, again, his average is, is not bad. And speaking of average, we talk about guys throwing. We, at least Oregon kept Garden Menchie from over 403 yards. He's been yeah. averaging 403 yards in passing. He threw for, you know, 323. And it's interesting how Justin Herbert's been averaging 268 yards passing a game. He throws for 270. But he keeps it clean. You know, no picks, no fumbles. When you have that kind of combination, you think you'll win the football game. And they kept the, the game clean. They just didn't realize that, boy, that little air raid, dink and dunk offense was pretty damn effective today. Very much so. How about Cal taking down Oregon State 49-7? to Oh, man. We hit on a little bit. I, I just didn't realize Oregon State's that bad. Let's just state it what it is. I mean, it's a home game, homecoming, beautiful day, Pac-12 network. Hey, you know, they have the Pac-12, their own version of game day down there, right? On the, on the terrace. So a lot of pub there and just... But I, I think most Beaver fans, though, we're going to give John Smith a little credit to say, well, let's give him some time. But, man, it's just disappointing to watch him get blown out that bad by, by a Cal team. But Arizona did it to him. I mean, everybody's kind of doing it to him. So, Beavers, yeah. I don't know what to say. Who does Oregon State have next week? You oh, can't, they're you can't trade. You can't trade guys, right? And call you can't trade your quarterback. You can't. Not fan. Of, you can't do that, correct? I, I don't think so. <laughs> not in the uh, not in the Pac-12, at least. Although, hey, if you uh, if you ask Woody Dixon, maybe you could. <laughs> oh, I went there. How about Utah beating USC forty-one to twenty-eight? This is the new class of the South, is it not? And especially at home, uh, Kyle Winningham does a great job with his teams every year. I told you, I like Tyler Huntley. He is playing well. Uh, talk about all the quarterbacks now. I mean, it was Steven Montez up there, top three. He's kind of dropped off, and now Tyler Huntley's picking up the, the slack and playing well. Uh, that's going to be an interesting game. I mean, again, Oregon's got to go down to Salt Lake City, right? They're down there another three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. And Washington State's got to go to Stanford next week. So there's some – don't just – let's just don't fast forward all of a sudden Oregon, Utah, and then the Apple Cup. There's still a lot of game, a lot of game to be played. Well, every single team in the conference will be in action next week. So it's going to be a busy, busy weekend. Beginning Friday night, Utah at UCLA. And I, you know what? Utah has been so good. you got to take them as a favorite, probably by seven or eight points going into that one. But UCLA, they're also starting to find their form. Oregon State will be at Colorado. Mm-hmm. Arizona State will be at USC. Boy, I tell you what, that might be a loser leaves town match in terms of <laughs> being in South contention. Yeah, you know, Manny Wilkins threw for three hundred forty yards, but put up thirteen points. A lot of stuff between the twenties, but between the twenties, I, I, I was calling for JT Daniels to be pulled after week two or three. Clay Helton sticking with him, mm-hmm. and he might be one of those, hey, the Mark Rippon kind of guy or Jack Thompson kind of guy who plays Jack Thompson four years with four different head coaches. So you play four years, you give JT, JT Daniels two or three years, we'll be talking a lot about him. Clay Helton, by the way, you know, he's not lost a home game in his Trojan career. He's 19-0, and 0, okay? But as an underdog, he's 1-10. When his Trojan teams are the underdog in whatever matchup they are, they, they just don't win. 
They hmm. will not win. It's fascinating with him. So I'm eager to look forward to what USC has for Arizona State. You know, number 15, Washington will go on the road to Cal. Boy, you think Cal is one thing when they're getting blown out by UCLA, and then you see them just crush Oregon State. Maybe they've regained some confidence. Still think Washington's the much better team. Did you, now, do you think Washington will leapfrog Oregon now in the ratings? Will they go Will they go to yeah. 10 or 11, and, yeah. and Oregon goes to 16, well, 17, and Washington State goes in the top 20? Yeah, I think Oregon goes back down to probably 17 with the loss today, especially that I think they were 17 a week ago. Now they're up to 12. They're go, they'll go back down back. to 17. And you know what? They're probably a top 15 team in the country. That's probably what they are. Yeah. You split the difference there. And the Kooks proved the day they could be a top 20 team. Yeah. The way they looked. But honestly, I think, I don't even think this is controversial. I still think Washington's better than Oregon. I think they're better than Oregon. They're a 37-yard field goal away from beating Oregon at yeah. Oregon. So, from yeah, pro- I think. Yeah, from proving it that day yeah. they could have been. And you're going to go see Washington State ranked 25th right now. will be ranked maybe 20th or 19th. Go down to Stanford and get beat. But that, right and now. that could very well happen. I'm I'm interested to see the health of Bryce Love. He did not play very much, didn't produce very much. Cam Scarlett was the leading rusher uh, Thursday night for Stanford. And I don't know about I don't know about their rushing attack as far as where it stands right but that, now. That 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 card that Cardinal defense will keep that team between the twenties and make them go to field goals. Yeah, that will that will be a 23-20 kind of game. All right, Oregon schedule the rest of the way. On one final note here, they are at Arizona. Versus UCLA, you're just better than both those teams. Just better. So take care of business. That was gonna be fun though to have Chip and the boys come back to Otson. It's gonna be and, great. Ha- and having Nick Aliotti. I-, yeah. I want I want him to be like for 30 minutes that day. In Can we just studio. have him on and talk about Chip Kelly coming back? That's right. He's gonna Chip Kelly's gonna downplay this game. So it'll be so overrated about That's it. Just oh. another football yeah. game. I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Thanks. Then at Utah, November 10th, that'll be a slobber knocker. And then versus Arizona State, fighting Herms coming up to Eugene November 17th, yeah. and then you got the, uh, the Civil War. Oh, my goodness. That's seen that fun. movie before, though. Black we, we have seen that movie before. Yeah. 60? 70? Uh, dude, so <laughs> last year, it was an historic margin of victory. Last year, it was 63-10, to 10, wasn't it? Is something like that, or sixty nine to thirteen? Yeah, because Justin Herbert came back. He was he was yeah. healthy for two weeks. He goes, "This is I'm way over." And I called it in our pregame yeah. show at Austin back then. I was like, "This is going to be the the most lopsided civil war ever, and it's going to be Willie Taggart's only civil war." Those were my two predictions, and they both happened. Yeah, so I felt pretty good about that. Get the lottery ticket, dude. Billions, bro. I mean, you know, not to bro it up on you, but it's like ten fourteen at Come night. On. Billions, man. It's crazy. All right, Neil. Hey, it's a lot of fun as always. College game day on Saturdays. You'll love it. 9 a.m. service tomorrow? We'll be there. <laughs> All right. He's Neil Lomax, the College Football Hall of Famer. I'm Judah Newby. Shout out Peter Sampson, Josiah Carrera behind the glass. Peter Sampson's in the chair, taking you to midnight the rest of the way. This has been the Oregon College Football Postgame Show, 102.9, 750 The Game.